Hi, I'm Weird Al Yankovic, and you're listening to the Pantheon Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you've ever watched a movie, you've heard music from John Williams. He's one of the greatest classical music composers of the last hundred years and one of America's most accomplished musicians. His music has won five Oscars, 25 Grammys, and four Golden Globes. The only person with more Academy Award nominations is Walt Disney himself. The list of movies he's written the music to is practically a guide to American cinema. E.T., Indiana Jones, Harry Potter, Home Alone, Jaws, Jurassic Park, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Superman, Star Wars. Should I continue? Oh, he also wrote the music for the Olympics, Sunday Night Football, and NBC News. On this episode of Prisoners of Rock and Roll, we're going to mix it up a little bit and take a look at the music of John Williams. What's up, everyone? Welcome to Prisoners of Rock and Roll, episode number 61. My name is Bruce Kramer, and I'm so happy to be talking music with you tonight with my co-host and my really good friend, Ryan McCusker. Are you rocking? Prisoners of Rock and Roll is part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. We're sponsored by Boldfoot Socks and McCusker's Tavern in Philadelphia. Be sure to like, share, and follow us on your favorite podcast platform, on social media, or on YouTube. Dude, great topic pick for this one. Dude, I was... At Disney on vacation, like we were talking about on past shows, and I was in Disney Hollywood, and I was sitting in the Indiana Jones stunt show, and after that, I walked to the Star Wars, and I was like, "Man, John Williams put all these." And I was like, "Oh, dude, I'm always looking for show ideas." So I was like, "Oh shit, we got to do a show on John Williams." Yeah, and I love that we're just doing something totally different outside of our normal wheelhouse, which shows you know that we are we're not just music bros, and we're willing to listen to and talk about anything. I love it. No, I'm just worried about people looking at our title of would be like John Williams, like who's John Williams? And uh, hey, I had to a few people just tell him who they were. He's like, oh yeah, oh yeah, you know, I think he's like uncredited. I mean, I know he's won so many awards and everything like that but i don't think he's a household name his movies are household names he's not he will be by the time we're done here yeah i was reading some interviews and some other stuff and i saw like a famous pops conductor called him the beatles of music scores i'm like right on dude the guy's hell yeah you know it's like every major american cinema and he's written the scores for even like yeah i said in the monologue how many awards he 
has, you know, I shit, I was even looking up the awards that he's been nominated for. And wow. it's like, it's ridiculous, dude. He's been nominated for 53 Academy Awards. He's been a nominated an Academy Award in each of the last seven decades. He's been nominated for eight Academy Awards, 25 Golden Globes. He's got, he's been nominated for 71 Grammys. He has 25 of them. He has honorary degrees in music, uh, doctor degrees in music from University of Penn, Harvard, and Boston College. He was given the Kennedy Center honor. He was one of the last people knighted by Queen Elizabeth before she died. He's had three of his songs in the Billboard Hot 100, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, dude, he's just a he's a titanic figure in yeah. in music. He's a monster, and you know, uh, not a monster. I mean, he made music for monsters, and I don't know how. You sit down and look at a movie and compose music in your head. Why you're freshly looking at something? You look at a movie. You you look at some of these movies, uh, like Jaws, for for instance. The movie would be pretty boring without the music. Yes, I watched a couple things about that, like how he writes and you know what it means for the movies. And Jaws was actually a good example because he went into this whole thing breaking down the scene where. Uh, you know, you're going to need a bigger boat and they're trying to get the uh, uh, the harpoon in the shark with the, the first time with the uh, the barrels on it and everything. And he was talking about how he lined up the music and the pacing and all this stuff. And it was really interesting to listen to. Yeah, um, he's he's brilliant. It's he's, like, yeah, you know, so he and he almost has to. Um, he said, you know, like he he kind of knows what the music is, how the music is supposed to make you feel with a scene. And he kind of lines it up with that. I was watching a movie or a documentary this week and how he's obviously different decades and movies that he made, like Lincoln was supposed to be 1800s, you know, far right. away was early 1900s. Um, but the cult, uh, Schindler's List, you know, he captured each culture of of the heritage of the, what the people were in that movie. Like you watch Schindler's List. Uh, I mean, it has such a um, that violin, you know, like it's almost like Fiddler on the Roof kind of thing. Yeah, it's um, it's Zach Perlman that he plays that plays the violin and a lot of the stuff. Yeah, he wrote it to be very sparse and uh, you know, very capturing in the mood. And yeah, he knows when to go huge, like with Indiana Jones or when to really dial it back, even the um hearing him talk about some stuff you know he'll make the music not even with what the scene is going on like if there's action but he'll look at the editing and he, he said that if the director if there's a lot of cuts like real fast cuts in the scene and yeah like he'll make the music speed up to bring you along it was really interesting man just to hear him how he works and all this kind of stuff he said it's very difficult to fit everything you want to do in in a time frame like you only have like a minute and 20 seconds to get your you know, your song, your emotion for the, the for what the movie is going through. Yeah. To get that through to like the, the watcher of the movie. But in terms of like classical music, right there, he never writes anything with words in it, but no, but you can score. Right. But you can, yeah. but, but it's so recognizable. Nonetheless, you can sing along to some of this stuff. Right. Like, oh, you know, absolutely. people sing along to the Darth Vader and the Indiana Jones and all that stuff, absolutely. which is just remarkable. It's cultural iconic shit, man. Sure. You know, they're going to 
dig up stuff like Indiana Jones does, and they're going to find these movies and they're going to have these soundtracks. And, and they're, they, it's going to be like, like Mozart, man. Like, how does a composer sit down and like, all right, I hear the flutes doing this. I hear the violins doing this. I hear percussion doing this. It must drive you fucking crazy. All the stuff that he's got to have going on in his head. And then how does he get it out? And then because you're not even, you know, it's you're writing for an orchestra. There's so many different instruments and things going on. And it's just on such a grander scale than like anything else that we've talked about. Right. It's not a band with like no. a guitar, bass and a drum and a vocals. It's got, you know, 30 different instruments or however many different instruments are in an orchestra. Uh, I know in Star Wars, he worked with the London Sympathy, uh, Sympathy yeah. Orchestra, you know, and uh, you really get the feeling of something powerful when you hear that opening credits. You know, sure. The first yeah. thing you the first thing you even know anything is that a long time ago. Right. And then. Boom, burn. I mean, for guys our age, you know, having gone seen all nine of the Star Wars movies on opening night when they came yeah. out. I mean, would you hear that, though, that opening fanfare like you go, you know, when you're our age and you grew up on that stuff, you get like the chill up your spine. You start going nuts. You're like, hey, yes, dude, people are so serious about representing Star Wars music. I mean, we've all seen like a married couple coming down for the theme of star Wars, you know, or you see uh, a graduate come out to the uh, sound of the, the metal giving at the end of the first movie. Yeah. You know, sure. it's people like make um, memories of themselves using these movie scores. Sure. And everything you just said, I like those exact, the exact music all was popping in my head. As soon as I heard it, the imagination this man has to to look at something and give it personality. I guess he's as famous as like a modern classical composer. I know scores and classical music are two different things, but they're about as close as you're going to get in like you know contemporary average music fan listening to. No, I was saying that might as well be what classical music is now considered. You know, in a generation of like of a lost art of orchestration, you know, it's it seems like it's getting littler and littler every year, like the season. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, you know. You know. And, but he also he said he doesn't consider himself a composer because he has to like he doesn't have a style. He's like I. He's like every movie I'm doing is an assignment. I get the movie and I have to make music to this. He does write yeah. some own his own stuff, like concertos and some other things. But he's famous, of course, for doing. Oh, yeah. Movies. Like, yeah. I mean, I said John Williams to the biggest wino at the bar today. And he like looked at me. I went. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I mean, just like two two notes and you know what it is. Sure. And the you know? emotion that that. Like that scared the hell out of everybody. It scared the yeah, absolutely. I was gonna say the F word, but then we we're trying not to say that kind of stuff or preacher friends are listening. Right. Yeah. Can we get some background about how his life started? Yeah. 
Yeah, I do have a little bit about him. I didn't have a whole lot, but he um his dad was a musician. His dad was a jazz drummer. And then he when he went to college, he he played brass, he played music in college and he went in the Air Force. And he played brass and piano for the Air Force band. And he eventually went to Juilliard to study music and he wanted to be a concert pianist, but he kind of just spell in, he fell into being a composer. He also worked as a session musician. And he released a couple of jazz albums under the name Johnny Williams. And he was writing TV themes for a while. And then um, Spielberg got wind of him. And Spielberg said, like, hey, could you write a movie? Could you write the score to my movie Sugarland Express in 1974? I don't I don't remember that movie at all. But it was a big enough deal that Spielberg liked it and said, hey, can you help me on my next movie? And this next movie was Jaws. And then kind of, you know, off we've gone for the rest of his career. I mean, in his beginning of his career, he would do like, you know, Julie Art shit during the day. And then he'd go out to the jazz clubs and he was big in the jazz. And at yeah. that time, you know, in the 60s and 70s, that's when jazz was smoking hot in New York City. He had education through Julie Art and then he had the education of like jazz, you know, it just made his music more free. I mean, to do what he does, he really have to have like some crazy imagination of free thinking or some other level. Like here, how do you like look at Darth Vader and come up with the fucking theme song? Right. And have that playing, playing through your head, you know, and everything like you look at what Darth Vader. I mean, shit. All right. Well, you know, we can start just talking about Star Wars. You know, there's iconic themes for so many of those characters in that movie, right? There's, you know, Yoda's theme and yeah, Princess Leia, uh, Princess theme. Leia's theme, right? Darth Vader, man, even the Cantina song that we came out of the the thing with, I never even crossed my mind. I was like, yeah, you know what? He wrote that too. Well, this is how I was thinking we're going to do this show. Let's talk about all his films, and then the second half we talk about all the Star Wars stuff. Yeah, dude, that sounds. That sounds perfect. That sounds great to me. Look at what else. Maybe some other stuff in my notes. If I had some I other know, things. I know he played piano on West Side Story soundtrack. Yeah, correct. He did. And he wrote the movie score for like Fiddler on the Roof. And he did a yeah. whole bunch of other things like that. Too. Yeah. There were classic, you know, classic musicals and stuff like that. Uh, and, and he's also kind of largely responsible for it seems like kind of a more recent thing. But maybe I've just only recently noticed it. But like when you go and you watch an orchestra play the soundtrack while a movie's playing, you know, like yeah. in Philadelphia, you can go to into Fairmount Park and see sure. the pops would play, you know, Empire Strikes Back and the they orchestra do it. play like the Man they, Music Center. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're playing the whole soundtrack live. And I don't remember that. I've no, I don't remember ever seeing that for another composer. Uh, no, absolutely not. I mean, it seems like Star Wars, there's always some kind of background music going on. It's it it gives you emotion. It tells you what the scene feel is is the feeling. Yeah. In addition to maybe before we start getting into some of the movies and playing some of the music, in addition to writing all these scores, he does conduct orchestras like an off season. So he was the main conductor for the Boston Pops from like nineteen eighty to nineteen ninety three. Uh, he came to Philly. I'd go see him in concert. Yeah. And he Definitely. he's. He's still considered their like laureate conductor and he'll do like special dates every once in a while. He was he conducted the New York Philharmonic for parts of 
uh, 04, 06, 07, and 2011. So it's pretty interesting. And the Boston Pops spends their their summers at like a different venue. And he goes up there and uh, lives in like a tiny, like a, he, like a little tiny area where he works. And he uses the Boston Pops to test out a lot of his music. He's wow. have, he wrote a lot of his stuff with while conducting the Boston Pops. Really wow. cool, man. And you said you want to go, you'd go see him. He's 91 and he's yes. still working. Good for him. I mean, it keeps him alive. I mean, purpose I is a big deal, man. I totally agree. I think he he's retired a couple times. And his yeah. the last one, he came out and he was like, dude, I'm I'm not going anywhere. I can't I can't give this up because it's taken his whole life. And he talked a lot about how he's like, I'm not real good at being around people and going to parties and stuff. He's like, because it just takes over his life when he's writing. He just it just, you know, he's all in when he's doing a movie. He seems such like a delightful dude. He seems like a very humble, very nice, very nice guy. That's what I the impression that I got off of him through all the interviews that I watched this week. I think I agree. I had the same feel. And I think the fact also that he was doing so many different interviews. Yeah, there's so much content on YouTube of him just talking about oh, music. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Part of it is because he's 90 and he's been around for so long. But it also, you know, he was willing to talk to some dude from France who barely spoke English and just answer all his questions. And, you know, and I'm sure it's the same stuff you've been answered. You know, what was going through your head when you wrote Star Wars? You know, the same shit that he's been, been asked for 40 years and he was still answering it. But it's like, how many times did I hear it? But to hear it again, it's like, yeah, right. Yeah. I watched I watched like 20 different people asking the same questions this week. Yeah. Preparing for yeah. this. And yeah. it's. um it's just so cool to hear him. And he, uh, but he's also really humble. Like every time he oh, talks yeah. about it, he's like, I don't listen to a lot. They, you know, everyone asks him too, what do you listen to? And he's like, I don't listen to anything because whenever I listen to other stuff, I'm like, oh man, I'm, I'm just not that good. I'm not as good as wow. this person. It's crazy. That is humble. That's the craziest shit that I've heard. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows what he's got? You know, he said what's going through his head all the time. Dude, I dig humble people. Uh that's my big thing in life. Yeah, it's a good way to go through life. It's just, uh, yeah, it's it's amazing. His whole resume is amazing. Hey, before we jump into this stuff, too, I said three of his songs actually went on the Billboard Hot 100, which is that just I found that so fascinating. So the Jaws theme went to number 32. That's insane. Right. It's like the Star it's a, Wars. It's like a minute and 12 second song. Right. He said a lot of it's two notes. Yeah. The theme for Close Encounters of the Third Kind went to 13 and that Star Wars went to 10. Too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there was something else that I thought was interesting. Oh, somebody asked him to write an opera. Placido Domingo asked him to write an opera for him. And he was like, nah, I can't do that. He's like, I don't I, I don't write vocals, man. I can't. I would be. Yeah. I'd be short shifting yeah. you. I couldn't understand that. And as much, you know, I don't listen to opera, but I know who Placido Domingo is. And I would think you would be flattered if somebody said, yo, will you write me something? And he was like, no, I, I wouldn't be able to deliver. Well, I like that instead of like, you know, maybe taking a payday and being like, oh, let me slop something together. He's like, I can't do it justice. Absolutely. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I really dug that, too. OK, so I think that's all the background on him. Um uh, oh, I, I wait. I'm I'm not done. He had something else. So he he writes a lot of his stuff old school. I mean, he's 90. So, you know, yeah, but he said he still 
he sits down with a pen and paper and it's like, you know, the paper with the music, the staves on it and everything. And he, he writes his shit that way. And then he, he said he watches a scene, you know, he gets all the screeners for the movie and he takes notes on paper with the staves on it. And then he goes and he writes a lot of stuff on piano or keyboard. He sits at the keyboard and starts framing it out. And then he, and he writes a lot of stuff in like this little tiny bungalow near Boston where he said, it's just a piano, a kitchen, a library and a little screening room. Again, just really humble. Love it. I do too. Really cool. Yeah, I like, I like the idea of being shut, shut away from everybody and having a shack and you're just there for one thing and it's the work. Right. I think anybody that's creative writing or anything like that can appreciate that. You imagine like how many, I don't know, the guy's been around for 91 years. How much of that time has actually, he spent bent over a piece of paper writing, right? Cause you gotta, you gotta watch the scene. You gotta take it in. What does it mean? What does the music sound like? Well, one imagine, of the, it's crazy. One of the things that he said in an interview, he's like, yes, I worked really hard in my life. But I did not lay brick. You know, he he was saying, you know, I worked hard, but it's not like I did a labor job. You know, it's not like I, I laid brick for a living. You know, I like yeah, that. I, no, I, I, yeah, I, I respect you know, that. I respect that shit out of that. Yeah. And he said even when he was in the, the Navy, you said he or the Air Force. Air Force. He said he he got out of all like the exercise things because he had to write the um the, the next day march for for whoever's coming in you know so he got to have all that shit hmm. he's got to be so super intelligent man i totally agree it's just uh yeah he's been so he has a job that he's been so consumed by his craft but he's not like a madman either he's not this like no, he doesn't seem as one of these like really eccentric weird people or any of this other stuff no you never he- hear shit about his personal life Right. You know, I saw one time that I always dug. He like lives in a normal neighborhood, and these two kids set up a music stand and music sheet, and they stand outside of his house, and he plays. They play the Star Wars theme, and he comes out. He's like, "Oh, that was so wonderful, you know, so cool, you know." And how humble he was about that. Interesting. Like, two young kids like they're probably visiting their grandparents or something and oh john williams play here let's go over here and see if he comes out kind of thing it was yeah. cool yeah i just googled what is john williams net worth and i'm i see everything from 100 million dollars to 50 billion dollars I, I doubt he's worth Jesus. Billion. uh several celebrity says he's worth 300 million dollars that sounds a little more accurate 50 billion seems a little little excessive but you know still that's a lot of cheddar right right and uh yeah he doesn't need the money at this point he's doing it because he loves it you know he oh yeah he he retired and then he came back out to do the music for the latest the new indiana jones movie that's coming out and that's when he just said i'm not i i'm not retired i can't i can't retire no too many i don't know too many characters depend on them yeah like how shitty is it to have an Indiana Jones movie without John Williams being, you know, the music director. Sure. Well, you know, like characters too. I mean, like shit. Spielberg needs them too. Oh yeah. Oh the yeah. Relations. The relationship that those two have had over oh, God all decades. I, work. All, all Spielberg's movies. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, what movie do you want to talk about first, man? 
let's let's I after watching and hearing everything this week, dude, I think everybody's besides Star Wars favorite movie is E.T. That movie, I remember seeing it as a little kid. And that scene when E.T. is all like half dead and he's all gray and the doctors yeah. are the arm, that just scared the shit out of me as a kid and just yeah. scarred me. I've never watched the movie since. Wow. And I just like it just creeps the hell out. The music is fantastic. Don't get me wrong. Well, that's why we're I, here. Yes. I, I was just so traumatized by that movie as a little kid. I don't remember when when did E.T. come out? Like oh, I was hoping we we're going to have this conversation about E.T. and how the music, you know, um, matched uh, everything. E.T. came out in 1980. It came out in 82. So I was like six when it came out and it's just scared the hell. Yeah, out I saw it in the theater. Absolutely. Yeah. But that scene that you you have it on the playlist flying. I think we could play it. I don't know. We could play it and talk over it if we want. To. That. Yeah. It's magical, man. Well, I watched this whole thing breaking this down and how how um it sounds it's got that childlike sound to it yes. right for elliot but it also has a little bit of a science thing to it to go with et and this is you know he's riding the bike through the air and it's like it's whimsical and uh this is interesting too because uh, john williams said he couldn't he couldn't get this he couldn't nail it down to keep up with the pacing of the movie and finally oh, wow. Spiel spielberg was like dude just do your thing and i'll cut the movie to fit the music instead of the other way around well the last 10 minutes 10 15 minutes of the movie it's just one big song yeah um, it's on the soundtrack it's maybe it's like 10 minutes long but it's it's the chase scene when they're on the bikes and the cops are chasing them and it goes all the way up to um where the spaceship comes down yeah. and Elliot's saying goodbye yeah I, I just, you know, I had such a different experience with E.T. Um, I was so s devastated when E.T. E went home every time right. I watched it. We went and saw it in the theater, and then we had it on VHS. And my dad would put it in. And after the movie, we'd all be crying and carrying on. And he was like, that's the end of E.T., we're not watching E.T. anymore, you know, but, you know, I watched it the other night and it has given me a different opinion about the ending of E.T. It's like, you know, all these years, it's like I felt like it was sad that I was leaving, but then it was like, no, mission accomplished. Right. You know, got him Elliot home. got E.T. home. I don't know, man. Maybe I'll have to watch it again since it, it's a it's a it's my, a magical trauma movie, man. My trauma it's, is uh, now over. I'm 47 now, so no, but and I'm think, still like, dude, I haven't watched it in 40 scene, years. That scene freaked the fuck out of me last night when I watched it. I, I think that movie needs it. Like to, to scare like little kids and like, I don't know. It, you know, they're they're like shocking them, you know, with, yeah. with the, you know, and yeah, you know, I don't even that, remember all that. I just, I just remember seeing him in the hospital bed with like the, uh, but there was like the plastic everywhere that like yeah. the tunnels and stuff. And it just, but even you know, the score that was going on behind it of that was amazing. Yeah. When ET was getting drunk and uh, the flip floppity music that they were playing in the background, you know, to match how he walked when he's like, ET has like a certain kind of walk. 
Yeah. And when he was walking and he was drunk, that's what the music sounded like. It's almost on par with like, um, as you were just saying that, I was thinking of like the pink elephants and Fantasia and how the music of the you know, Walt Disney music goes so well with what's going on on the screen. And you know, even Bugs Bunny, even like, they, I mean, they were using classical music, but John Williams is on that same level, man, of just, you know, it's uh, it just adds color to whatever's on the screen for your ears. You know, I mean, I just thought of this, but it's like John Williams music is meant to be seen. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like you like you see it in the theater, you see it in the movie, you see the music, you feel the music. You know, there's so many scenes like that would be so lost without the score behind it. Emotion. And when he started getting really popular, like the um the the trend of music soundtracks was going away from that big orchestral kind of sound, the big score. And oh, he, sure. he just, you know, he made it so famous. Yeah. I, I, what besides the movies he's done can who's these big writers now? The uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. He's Tim a Burton. Oh, Danny Elfman. Danny Elfman. You know, um, uh, Hans Zimmer. That's about that's you about. take what I'm saying now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, totally. Yeah, yeah there's not. But like not, he's, he's like the sound of our whole generation of growing up our whole imagination sure yeah and i mean any of these movies man are just listening to his music catalog is like a catalog of americana like pop culture in movies absolutely no and the movies are so there's so many different styles of movies you know you can go from et to i mean shit any of these on here they they can have different themes play play a little bit even like the schindler's list play a little bit of that okay yeah and then after that, we'll play a little bit from far and away. Okay. said he he had a really hard time writing this and he said he didn't want to do it and uh he was like you need to find a better person to write this and spielberg was like all the composers who were ever better than you are all dead you have to do it <laughs> yeah i heard and that he was story like, he was like okay and he said a lot of it is just this violin with Zach perlman but listen to how heartbreaking it is yeah yeah it's invoking an emotion just listening to it yeah but it absolutely captures the Jewish culture. You know, it yeah. just it sounds like the pain that they've been through. Yeah, there's um there's movies that I'm glad I saw, but after I've seen it once, I don't ever need to see it again because of oh, that. Absolutely. The Flight 93 movie to me was like that. Passion of the Christ, Schindler's List. You know, there's certain things you're just like, whoa, man. Schindler's okay, like, List is a uh I, I agree with you so much, but it's like maybe every once in a while I watch to remind myself what people have done to each other. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Like there's real evil exists. Yeah. But anyway, but um, the now he did that ethnic 
now play something from that movie far and away, which is an Irish Celtic feeling. Yeah, the fighting Donnellys from far and away. This is the chieftains are on this. I haven't uh, I haven't seen this movie in a really long time. Oh, it's beautiful. It's how it's shot. I mean, the concept of it, it's kind of yeah. weird. Maybe yeah, it didn't been... date well. It didn't age well, I don't think. But just how he captured the Irish Celtic sound. Like, he knows what heritage sounds like. It, yeah, it's not like that wasn't just over the top. You know, it was... It, of course, it's Irish, but it wasn't, you know, it, it, yes, there's some strings to it, some orchestral kind of stuff. I'm having trouble putting it into words, but the penny whistle in there, yeah. uh, you can hear the Irish drum, that deep bass drum that a lot of our traditional Irish music has in it. I picked it because the chieftains are in it. That's why I picked it. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No, hey, hey. no, I, of course I do. Of course yeah. I remember them. Yeah. I, I just uh, wanted to show like what, how different culture he can jump. But also the man can like travel in time, like like Lincoln. Yes. Like the music in Lincoln is so like revolutionary. Like, yeah, we have something on there from Lincoln. We do. Yeah. Some music called the People's House. This has nothing to do with the music, but uh, Daniel Day-Lewis is like my favorite actor. Oh, God. He's yeah. so awesome in this movie. It's like every couple of years, he just he comes back out with a movie and just reminds everybody this is... He's the greatest actor ever. Yeah, this is how you do it. Yeah. Yeah. But the music captures like Abraham Lincoln. You know, it represents him well. Yes. It's like noble. Yeah. Yeah, it's noble, but it feels a little compassionate. Historic. Yeah, there's some fragility in it. Yeah. What did you think of the movie? I liked it, man. I thought it was boring, man. I I thought it it was going to be like about one thing and it was about another thing yeah uh yes 
um i thought it was gonna be about like the civil war kind of thing but it, yeah it really yeah. zeroed in on a couple things it was more interesting dude to watch him and see him oh that like, was the whole yeah that was and the whole that's the only reason i would watch it again is to watch daniel day lewis's acting yeah you're like holy shit that's abraham lincoln brought to life i, I mean abraham lincoln vampire killer was a better movie <laughs> than lincoln. all the history facts are there right skipping around too, like the historical stuff uh only we had, we didn't have anything from saving private ryan on here but he wrote that too oh god how did i leave that out that opening scene like this the this i don't even know how to put it petrified i don't know play something off of it yeah uh omaha beach is probably what we're thinking about yeah yeah I could see them like pulling up in those boats yeah. and letting them loose. Those man, what a great movie this is! Yeah, this is a movie that made me tear up at the end of it, and, and I'm sure the music had just as much a part of that as oh, yeah. the story and the you know the plot. And... What a great movie! I mean, so many. I mean. Saving Private Ryan, I mean, especially at the end when you realize it's Matt Damon's character, because in the beginning, you think it's Tom, Tom, Hanks. Tom Hanks, you know, what, what those guys, anybody in World War Two and they had to be the bravest dudes in the world, man. You got to think the first thousand troops on Omaha Beach didn't have a chance. You know, like, yeah, I read somewhere they said that that opening scene is as close to real as it could get without like emotionally damaging you, you know, without you being there and experiencing unreal. what it was. Yeah. You were like looking at people picking up their limbs yeah. and like try to pick it up and like, oh, I'm going to put this back on. Or like the scene where uh, Tom Hanks puts his helmet on from the water and he puts it on and it's all blood. That movie has a handful of scenes that, yeah, I can't think of many movies that were invoking that much emotion from me when I saw it, like wanting to yell or getting upset, like physically upset over certain things. And yeah, the music is a huge part of that because again, he just, he knows what emotion he wants to get out of you. And the music helps that with everything else that's going on on the screen. I mean, it, when you're doing a scene like the, the Omaha Beach scene, you have really have to be humble. You have to be humble by taking something that was so awful and representing a feeling through music. It's a great point because because you got to figure he's seeing that right without the music in it, or he's seeing a rough cut and then trying to come up with something, and he's got to know i'm sure he's getting direction on like this is what the mood needs to be but that that opening scene could be like you know if i played that with the sound off and then played like 
the America F yeah from South Park. You know, yeah, be like yeah. we're storming the beach, we're killing Nazis. You know, it could yeah. it could go so many different ways, but he knows how to thread that needle and get to your emotions and and lead you down the path he wants you to with his music. It's just that opening scene. All those poor boys died. Yeah, you know, it, and that's another film you have to watch once in a while to remember. Yeah, but you know, like compare that opening scene and that music to, um, you know, John Williams didn't write this, but like Apocalypse Now when the flight of the Valkyries is, you know, dun, 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 yeah, 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 and they're flying into napalm everything and the over the top character. They're two totally different emotions that they're trying to get out of you. It's it's something that you see every like Memorial Day weekend. It's yeah. always on. You know what else I really love is um the Band of Brothers. Yes. He didn't write that, did he? He didn't write no, that. Movie, did no, he? but no. I'm just I'm bringing it. Yeah. Up. Yeah. Spielberg did. Spielberg it was a Spielberg thing. But maybe John Williams did do. I didn't see it in 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 the research, but um I could see him being involved because it's Spielberg. Uh no, it was composed by a guy named Michael Kamen, who also wrote the score for Die Hard, X-Men, and some other stuff. But yeah, a couple of those guys from Band of Brothers, we're getting way off topic, were South Philly guys. Were oh, absolutely. Brian absolutely. Heffron and uh, were, another, one of the other guys. Yeah, um, they were treated like heroes in the neighborhood after the, the TV series came out. And it, yeah, it's like Wild Bill. I see yes. Wild Bill my whole life. And it was one leg bill. Yeah, the guy that got his leg blown off in the in the show. Dude, I've seen him my whole life. I never knew how he lost his leg until that series came out. And those guys got treated like rock stars, like in South Philadelphia. They there's a statue of Babe Heffron at one of the parks down in South Philadelphia. Yeah, I remember when he he passed away a couple years ago. It was a shame. Yeah, he was a good man. Okay. Uh, Saving Private Ryan, we talked about. Let's and... talk about the two notes that scared the freak out of everybody. Jaws. Let's talk about Jaws. Oh, my God. Yeah. Did Jaws scare you when you were like a kid? Yes. Like, were you like, no, I'm not going in the ocean because. Yes. So I, I apparently was a very fragile child because I mentioned before how much Alice Cooper being on the Muppet Show scared me and he <laughs> scared me. You're fragile and Jaw scared me. Two notes, man. I'm getting a little chill up my back just as you're talking this, you know, like the anticipation. Yeah, I mean that. Yeah, it's either the opening scenes where the one when the person gets killed in in, in night and evening, and then um, the little kids when they're in the ocean. Oh, dude, it's, there's some awful things that happen in that movie. Yeah. I mean, I always fucking like almost freak out, like have a panic attack when everybody runs out of the ocean when they yeah. when the kids are like fucking around. They have yeah. been on, yeah. but like oh, yeah. people, old people are getting trampled on. Like you know, people are lucky. People are like, what a crazy, scary movie that is. And remember, like, it, but some of it's really fucking funny. Like the over, the, the mayor is over the the top. mayor. The mayor is yeah. the greatest. He's on the beach with the suit on, and yeah, you know, 
he's always like, oh, what a great. I watch that every like Shark Week. Yeah. I watch it every summer. Uh, there's kind of a local tie to this. So you've got the guys in Band of Brothers by you. The uh, there was a uh, the Jaws thing is very loosely based on an attack of a great white shark in New Jersey, kind of up really? in, in like 1918, a great white shark went up a river and killed a couple people, like attacked a, a child who was like jumping off a dock in a river. And oh, um, wow. a local dude tried to save him and he died as well. But there's like markers you can drive. You know, uh, my wife and I have gone up and, and it's like a half hour from where I live. And you could drive up and there's a marker there like, hey, this is where a couple people were were killed by a great white shark. And it's the inspiration for Jaws. That is wild. I always like watch Jaws when I was a kid, not like putting everything together. Like, how did Jaws get into the to the bay, man? How do you you know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's like, where were they, man? Tuck it. Like, how the hell did Jaws get that far in there? Or Amityville Island. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Is, is, yeah. Yeah, one of those you know Cape Cod type of uh, vacation towns, but but yeah, man, I mean, shit, just again invoking the emotion from you, scaring the hell. I mean, every nobody was nobody our age who grew up within an hour of the beach ever wanted to go in the ocean when we saw that. Oh no, and like sharks were huge after Jaws came out. Like everybody, yeah. shark tooths and fins, and you know. But like I grew up being terrified of sharks. Like now, like Shark Week is like cool and blah 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 blah. But I I barely ever remember watching Jaws as a kid. There's some funny shit though in that movie when he's trying to close the beach and he's like buying the art supplies. Like you know, like yeah, there's some like out I don't know outdated fun stuff. Like how how do you put control? How do you control something like that? Like the whole town survives on the summer, you know, and you're like, oh, nobody can go in the beach. And the, you got this mayor with a bad jacket on, like telling you, you know, you're crazy. Even right before, what's his name, shoots the canister in Jaws's mouth, you know, that music just like leading up to, to the explosion. Right. The build up. Yeah. What a great movie cool we also get to talk about some of these movies too which is fun but that's why it was gonna be fun about this we talk yeah. about the well, movies talk about the the you know the characters of movies and how the score matches the characters sure it's almost, it's impossible to separate the two of them they're so intertwined yeah the um the theme for catch me if you can i think is very light sounding too i did see that he did that I I I can't place it like, like the sound in my head, but you should definitely play it. Maybe this isn't as interesting as I thought it was going to be. No, like I could see the opening monologue. Yeah. But, you know, it was like an animated monologue in the beginning yeah. of it. And he was like changing from like different character to different profession. Yeah. It's got a little bit of like a noir kind of vibe. It to sounds it or... very like 
60s like um yeah kind of like mad men yes I think that's what captured the, the times. Yeah, I mean, sure. Of that movie. Sure. But again, totally different vibe that you're getting out of it than Jaws or E.T. or anything else. So. Oh, absolutely. All right, man. One of my favorite movies is Close Encounters. That movie. I don't know, changed, I think, changed everything. For movies that were science fiction. Of the time. I mean, it was before Star Wars. Oh, no. Was it? I can hang on. Star Wars first or Close Encounters came first? They came out the same year. Okay. Um, Just the the way the spaceship looked in the movie was so groundbreaking and and the lights. But the soundtrack or the score, let's say, is so memorable. If you if you know the movie, yeah, um, just something else that's five notes, and everybody can recognize it from the movie. Why don't we Why don't we just play it? And- yeah, sure. Interesting. You know, you know how important that is to yeah. that movie? Interesting. Listening to that with the headphones on, I could hear the valves on the, yeah. whatever that is. It's probably an oboe or something. Um, I could hear the clicking. valves on the instrument clicking. Yeah. First, I was like, who the hell? Uh, like, are you typing while we're talking? I was like, interesting. And again, you different experience listening to it with headphones on. But, you know, getting deep with this movie, you know, aliens and whatnot. I think that would be like the first way to communicate would be through sound, not through talking or anything in that way, but through sound like pitches. You sure. Know? Pit, a pitch is a pitch. I don't know. It, music like uh, mathematics. All right. The math of the universe. Yeah. Maybe uh, well, music's the same thing. All right. One of the Voyager probes that we sent out we put records on to that. They put, it was either little Richard or Chuck Berry. Right. On there. Cause they're like, Hey, the aliens are going to find us. Hopefully they got a record player. <laughs> but no, I mean that movies, what was the last time we seen that movie? Uh, I, I get long time. Really? You should sit yeah. down and watch that movie. Yeah. Poor Richard Dreyfus. He like drives himself batshit crazy. Yeah. You know, but then he finds out that he's right. 
Yeah. And, and he gets to, you know, he gets to take off on the spaceship at the end of the movie. You know, he just leaves his family behind. He doesn't even think about them. He's like, I'm just going to go on the spaceship and say goodbye. Yeah. That's another movie I, um, I haven't seen in a really long time. Though. Yeah, I I cherish that movie, man. It's one of it's one of my top movies. But yet, when I was watching it last the other night, the score is not really that much. There's not a whole lot going on. Just silence is a, a different thing for that movie. Instead of using like da 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 right for anticipation in in Close Encounters, they're using quiet. The silence fills the gaps instead of the sound because like the littlest sound could be part of like uh, you're missing something in the alien. You know, it's right. And the quiet is also it's part of the mystery. You're like, what is what's yeah. going on? I don't I can't see them. I can't hear anything. What's going on? Exactly. Like there's a scene with the little kid who who meets them and he doesn't say anything. He just looks at them and he smiles. You know, and there's no communicating, talking or anything like that. But he becomes their friend right away. Great movie. I'll have to go back and watch a couple of these again. Yeah, I haven't haven't seen in a long time. Yeah, I mean, I John Williams was like the soundtrack of my life. Yeah, everybody's life. All right. You can't be you can't be into uh, movies. I'm, think, I'm a big movie. Fan. I think I'm a more of a big movie fan than you are. Yeah, you are. Um, I just see this shit being really important. It's, you know, right? Well, I mean, you know, my daughter is a film major in college, and when I told her what we were doing, you know, she of course she knows everything because she's, you know, she's like, you guys, you two idiots are talking about this for free. I, you know, I have to pay <laughs> to talk about this. I'm like, we can teach this class, but let's move to something else. Yeah, dude. Okay. You, uh, you got something in my mind? Yeah. How about we put Home Alone on here? We did. Home Alone, man. It's yeah. That's a, obviously a much a, a way different vibe than Close Encounters. But he wrote the theme for oh, that. Oh yeah. But um, like, play play the song automatically. You know what it's from. Yes, you're. It's you're automatically thinking about the Christmas season. You know exactly what it is. Um, yeah, it's got that childlike kind of whimsical sound to it. Again, on another level that John Williams is working on. Look, playful, very playful, right. very uh, little kid-like. Yeah. Yes, the jingle bells, of course, Christmas and the... It's got a little bit of mystery to it because you know the two the two idiots are about to you know yeah. Home Alone's okay. Yeah, I I like it. It's not a I, it's not a know, hardcore part of our Christmas movies, but we watch yeah, it every year. I'll look at it during a Christmas. It's not one of my favorite movies, but like I don't really like Macaulay Culkin. He gets on my okay. nerves. Okay, you no, know? I I I never like my girl. He gets on my nerves in that movie. But yeah, he definitely did that. One of the greatest, I think, movies that Spielberg did was Jurassic Park. Yes, I was waiting for you to bring this up. I I listened to this again, and the I want to word this the right way. 
like I think you and I seeing that movie for the first time, we probably had a different experience in like my daughter. You know, my daughter's 20. So for us, that was that was so cutting edge special oh, effects. Yeah. That scene where uh he goes, you know, uh welcome to Jurassic Park, and then the music yeah. picks up and it pans out across the dinosaurs, you know, like that's so commonplace now that you can make anything look like anything in with special they, effects. They made pop culture. Like they made right. they broke grounds. It was like you like you watched it and like holy shit, dude, they made dinosaurs. Right. You went from like you know, it's it's 60 years, but like, you know, the King Kong exactly animation, right. Exactly. To, to that you were like, shit, man, like, it's hard realistic. to tell. Like right. realistic. Right. Play the and song, I, man. Yeah. I can see it in my head. I could see the the uh, brontosauruses, the brachiosauruses are like in the lake with their heads out. Mm-hmm. And This right here is where like it starts. Yeah. It's cool how much it, it builds and then it's just oh, so yeah. it's so grand, but it's not exceptionally loud or anything. It's just no. it's it's just majestic. It's like, man, I hear that music and I see the dinosaurs. Right. You know, like it's such an imprint in my head when you hear when I when I hear the music. I mean, I have such fond memories of watching that movie. Like you said, like, you know, um Jeff Goldblum's awesome in that movie. You know, the concept of uh Dino DNA. They were they were taking like different DNA from lizards or frogs yeah. or yeah, the mosquito and the amber. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that movie's thirty years old. I just looked as we're talking. I it came out ninety three. So it's like yeah, it's just how uh, yeah, just how cutting edge that that those special it effects was. are. I saw it like at a midnight showing on a Thursday night. On a fr- when when it came out on a Friday, in in ninety three, I saw man what a man that was thirty years ago. You said yeah, crazy right? Crazy man, you're getting old, Bruce. I know, man. I got all the gray hair in my beard, and yeah, you know, like my kid's twenty years old. I am getting old, but 
you know, I'm not. I'm staying. Yeah, there, right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You're 36. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, yeah, that that's an awesome one. The Superman theme is another one that he is just uh, yeah, it's it's so good, which I don't think he wrote. I think I meant to do a little research, but I didn't get into it was that 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 that, 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 that was yeah. for that was in the Superman TV show back in the day. Hmm. So I think I'm pretty sure, but I think he didn't write this per se. Like he added to it. Okay. Yeah, well, let's play it. It's. Amazing. Superman can't fly without that song, man. I, I just was closing my eyes and just listening to it and enjoying it again. Just a different experience listening to it with headphones. We say it every week. Just get yeah. yourself a pair of headphones and go back and listen to any of your favorite music and you will discover all new things going on in it. It's super cool. You know, what's great about what Superman and what they, they captured with the music is the sound of America. You know, like, yes, I was. Yes, I was actually thinking that exact same thing when it was playing. It was very uh, presidential to a point. I mean, Superman was is an Well, he's an he alien. was. Yeah, right. He's but, an alien. But then he, he became an American. Right. Truth, justice first. in the American way. Truth, justice in the American way. And, you know, obviously things changed over well because everybody's so sensitive. But the movie was awesome. Christopher Reeves. Sure. He was, he was a perfect sure. Superman. Yeah. And they've never been able to really like nail him down again. The character no. like on screen, like DC, yeah. DC comics just can never, excuse me, other than Batman, they just, they can't get, they just can't pull I like the last Superman movie. It was long, but I like that Man of Steel movie. I like that kid who played Superman. Marlon Brando was in the first one. Right. Playing his right, father. Right. You know? Playing his dad. Sure. Right. Lex Luthor was Gene Hackman. Right. And the second one, the you know, General Zod, one of the greatest comic yes. book villains ever. Yes. You must kneel before Zod. Yes. Lex Luthor, ruler of Australia. Yes. Um, Amazing. Yeah. Really cool. And but even that was so groundbreaking at the time of him. Like there's that him flying around the globe yeah to like, turn it backwards yeah and it, then he just like you know sticks his hand like his arm out with his fist yeah and he just flies in a separate way i'm gonna say it on our show superman is an american 
uh, Kate Bush fans were calling us typical close-minded Americans today too. They're they're still fucking coming at us. That's great. <laughs> that episode was three weeks ago, and we're still taking crap over it. But yeah, somebody from England was was arguing with me today about it. I've I've had about enough of them now with their. But yeah, anyway, just, but you could just ignore it though. But yeah, it's I know. Much fun, it's too much fun to fuck around with them. I I engage and you know thank you for your comment and you know that that's but we're about getting it. somewhere. It's amazing. That's true. Right. People are listening to us. So we do have like, you know, I put another 20 something videos back up on Facebook or YouTube today. That's so it. we got like, yeah. we got like 250 of them up there now. So really? Yeah. I, and you know, I'm making like 20 clips out of every episode. So a lot of content. And so this show can only happen because of you, Bruce. Yeah. It's both of us, dude. And hey, you know, somebody wants to find us on YouTube and they listen to three minutes of it. Yeah. We have all the, uh, the clips are kind of put into like playlists. So if somebody just wants to hear about the actual like songs that Led Zeppelin ripped off, you know, and not hear any yeah. other shit, they can do that. So, yeah. you know, whatever. Or maybe somebody's watching the video for Stairway to Heaven and we show up next and like, hey, did you know that they got sued for doing this? Hey, let's fuck this up for you. Right. Take a dump in your Easter basket. So, yeah, dude, I guess the two movies that he's got left are the two that he's most famous for. And the first one, dude, was Indiana Jones. I oh, I think amazing. I like Indiana Jones as much as I like Star Wars, except for the most recent movie that came out, which just broke my heart of how terrible it was. But uh, I have, I, I have fa- I'm holding out that the new one's going to be OK. I love Indy. I don't care who's in it, but he's in it. I don't care. He's. 70 something years old like swinging through the air it's indiana jones he's he's my man no i actually have an indiana jones shirt on today oh awesome you know i i uh always catch the stunt show in disney with the indiana jones yeah i'm I'm just a huge fan of you know of archaeology and adventure it's the perfect perfect movie Oh, it's such a great character. I mean, you know, and the way the movies are shot, you know, like the old serials from like the 40s, like, you know, when he's traveling and the map has the little lines of the plane flying and the and the music is such a huge part of this, too, man. Like, let's just let's just play some of it. I think that might be one of the most synonymous is like synonymous with a character. The only thing I can think more is the Darth Vader thing. You just immediately, oh, you immediately so know, it, like, yeah, yeah. not even what Recognize it's from, like who it represents. Yeah, 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 absolutely. What's your favorite Indiana Jones movie? Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, probably the, the first one. I don't know, man. I, I like all three of them. Um, yeah, probably the first one. Yeah, I love I love the Sean Connery one though. Yeah, that one was good. I, Everybody I hated... loves Temple of Doom. I that was that's like my least favorite one. That one was it was a little darker because you've got like kids getting hurt and you know yeah. it doesn't have the uh, the biblical references that I thought were so cool in the first in and the third first one. one. Yeah. yeah, 
And I think that's why I hated the fourth one so much because it was like these weird ass alien, alien shit. Yeah, I just I yeah. I don't know, man. I, I remember walking out of the theater seeing that and just going like, what the hell did I just watch? What was that? But I just hate Shia LeBrock, whatever his yeah. name is. He yeah, sucks. I do yeah, I don't like him either. Um, yeah. Again, uh, the trailer for the new one looks good. I'm I'm an idiot. I will go. I'm a, also, you know, I am also an idiot while line up and yep. I'll bring my my hat and my my whip. You know, but uh, let me ask you this question. You ever think about this? Indiana Jones, right, is archaeologist. Right. You know, what if Indiana Jones found Han Solo and Carbonite? And you, you ever think about that? I haven't. But now I know why I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight. I'm going to be laying <laughs> in bed. Um, I, do you dig what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. It, it has no relevancy to it all. But I was just listening to an interview with Mel Brooks, and uh, he was talking about space balls. And they asked him, like, why does your Han Solo character, why is he dressed like Indiana Jones? And he said that there was two rules that when he got permission to make space balls, George Lucas said, one, you can't use the likeness of Han Solo for whatever reason. So he said, OK, well, fine, I'll just use Indiana Jones. And the other thing That's he said, hysterical, I had no other, idea. And the that other thing makes he said so is, much sense with that jacket he wears. Right. In that movie. And then the other thing he said is you can't you can't sell merchandise because that's where and they did the whole merchandise. Right. That's the, the joke, like where the real money is made. That was it was he was totally ripping on George Lucas. So uh, uh, Mel Brooks, man, I, I don't know if you've seen the new uh, History of the World. It's it's pretty fun. There's a new one out. Yeah. Yeah. They finally made History. of the. It's on Hulu. It's like uh, a, okay. a, a miniseries. It's pretty friggin' funny, man. I yeah, I, had a I like moments. his movies. I like yeah. his movies. Another dude in his nineties, still, still doing stuff. But you know, no bearing on what we're talking about. But yeah, no. Yeah. Uh, Indiana Jones, one of the greatest franchises ever in movie history. All the adventure, yeah. the imagination that goes along with, like, you know, who comes up with like voodoo temple guy come and rip your fucking heart out you know right. and what kind of music do you come up with that for that right right what kind of deranged person you have to be that you're oh let me dig in my mental filing cabinet for the uh ripping the guy's heart out and throwing it in the fire pit but yes. i have to come up with music for it right right I'm john, on what it. do you no got <laughs> what do you got john you go through the roller decks that's <laughs> funny all right so I think we're we're up to Star Wars, man. This is probably a great place to take a break. We've been talking for like an hour and a half. We'll come back, dude. We'll talk about Star Wars and uh, all the other good stuff that we, you know, that our listeners come to hear from us. And then we'll call it a night. All right. Stick around. We'll be back. Prisoners of Rock and Roll is sponsored by McCusker's Tavern at 17th and Shunk Streets in Philadelphia. There's something for everyone on the beer list and the jukebox in McCusker's. It's minutes from the sports stadiums in Philly, making it a great place to stop by for a few drinks before or after a concert or a game. Come see for yourself why everyone from Philadelphia Magazine to Playboy has called it one of the best dive bars in the city. Visit them at 17th and Shunk Streets in Philadelphia or on Facebook. That's McCusker's Tavern. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. 
And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Prisoners of Rock and Roll is proudly sponsored by Boldfoot Socks. They're an American company owned by an American military vet that makes 100% of their product in the United States from materials grown in the United States. And they donate 5% of their proceeds to veteran charities. The only way that could be more patriotic is if it had Hulk Hogan's theme playing behind it. Maybe this is the Superman theme. On top of that, they make a fantastic product and adorable product. I was looking at Boldfoot Socks' social media page the other day, and they were talking about how a lot of other companies use labels that say, like, designed in America or assembled in America. And a lot of times, you know, that's just like marketing garbage. But these guys, you know, their motto is grown here, sewn here. Really cool. And the President Josh is a is a listener to us. Really appreciate everything. He's going to be uh, giving us a song for the electric chair sometime soon. And uh, looking forward to it. But you want to hear more about what they're doing, you can head on over to Boldfoot.com. It's Boldfoot Socks. Josh, you're the man. Welcome to the second half of the podcast. <laughs> Prisoners of Rock and Roll. <laughs> In a galaxy far, far away. On Spotify. Coming to you. Damn. What an opening. Yeah, I I have to turn this off so I can talk. But yeah, man, how many times? I mean, you've always heard that they call Star Wars a space opera, and sure, yeah, the music is I yeah it, that that is the greatest movie score ever made, and that's not I, just me. I the agree. American Film Institute says that the Library of yeah. Congress has said that. Yeah, it's it has multiple. It it just we get just even talk about the first one, multiple scenes with legendary music in it. Like you could, you know, play any play any fucking song that I have there from Star Wars. I'll tell you what what scene it's from. This is when they're in the desert. Right. Totally like C3PO, like hello. Yeah, and it's like and they, they get ambushed by the uh the Jawa, the Sand Jawas people. and yeah. 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 Over here. I'm just saying it's so indented in my mind. Right. All this all the Star Wars shit, man. I mean right. the first the first movie 
you know, it was so on a budget. It's amazing the kind of soundtrack that they got out of it for for the budget that they had at the time. I mean, you you hear this orchestra like, oh, this must have cost a billion dollars to to capture this. There's so many things that Star Wars did like that were unique. I think it was one of the first movies to put the credits at the end. Oh yeah. Instead of like, you know, you watch older movies, the credits are always at the front. And yeah, music music scores before this were kind of more in the back of the movie, like you know, in the background. And this yeah. is, I mean, this stuff is like, you know, front that scene where they get the medal at the end. I mean, that that's it's almost more front and center than the actual action that's going on on the screen. No. Play that song, man. Yeah, okay, sure. That's uh just the throne room and end title. I could see all of it playing in my head. Absolutely. I could probably quote most of it. Any of these scenes. You know what I just thought of, too? As, that? as much as George Lucas is effed with these movies over the years, you know, he's always tweaking something and making yeah. yeah, he's almost he's almost never touched the music. I think the only time I can think he's ever messed with it was the scene in Java's palace. The band they added play. The, yeah, they, they added they, the chick singer. Yeah. And it's like a different it's a different song one of the versions had a different song but almost all the time he never he messes with the special effects the lighting you know he puts that scene with java the hut back in episode four but he never effed with the music i think it's because it's perfect sure yeah it's like they hit a home run it's timeless you know he he reissued those movies because you know he thought they didn't age well you know, like he wanted to add newer scenes to it. You know, some of it worked, some of it didn't work. But like, you don't mess with, I don't know, the feeling of the movie, which is the soundtrack to it. Yeah. Yeah. And I was the idiot that every time those got re released, I went and saw them in the theater and I went, and bought, I. I went and bought the box set. But I'm also absolutely a- every time it came out on Blu ray, DVD, VHS, beta, I had it all. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I had like multiple versions of the box set and VHS tapes and blue. I wish I wish I had the the original ones because you can't buy them anymore. Because they're probably worth stupid money. And George Lucas went around and bought all the original trilogy. Hmm. He bought them all up so nobody could see it because he hates them so much. So now you can only see like the ones that they glued together a couple years ago some of the yeah and some of that stuff just didn't work like you said some of it did some of it didn't but the music man is just absolutely timeless and it just and it carried through man like all those movies like you know even the um yeah well shit we before i don't was i was going to jump ahead to the prequels but before we do that i mean there's a couple other things there's a couple other things from the original trilogy man i mean shit this has got to be the most recognizable iconic piece of score ever written definitely yeah is there anything more badass than this no 
it's like you know you're here to kick ass. Right. He yeah. is. It's one of the best characters in the history of movies. But part of that's got to be the fact that he had an awesome. Yeah, he had awesome entry music too. How did John Williams come up with that? Because that they didn't come up with that until the second movie, right? Yeah. There is some really loose, like, I didn't go too far into any of this, but there are some, like, really loose um, basis on some other classical stuff that he did, like uh, Holst, The Planets. Like, here's, I'll play a little bit of what we're talking. This is from uh, uh, Gustav Holst, Mars. So that that's from 1914. So it's like oh, it, there's wow. some there's some real loose kind of I can I can pick up some themes, but I didn't want to go too far into like did, what was he inspired from? And you know, I was just like that's not the point of this. But I think um, they were really inspired also by all those like Flash Gordon. Serials. Absolutely, yes, absolutely. Like the, the music from that stuff, you know, because um, it was always an adventure. It it sounded like an adventure. You know, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And that's totally where the Indiana Jones stuff comes from, too. It's the same that same vibe, which and I guess some of that stuff, too, were probably old like radio serials, too, where the sound was even more important. But, you know, I think was an important scene in, in Empire was the scene between Han Solo and Princess Leia when they were having their moment. Sure. Like that. Play that music. Off. Yeah. That's on the. Because that's so delicate, but you, yep. again, you hear it and you know the monologue in your head. And what made the nostalgia of the last trilogy so good was when all these characters, when you first saw them again for the first time in 30 years, right. Right. this music all kicked in. So it just, it dragged you right back to what you felt. It's so, so classic, man. Like, yeah. you know, that's, that's like the sound that I would hear in my head if I found my true love, <laughs> you know? Yeah, sure. If, I, if that ever happens. Sure. I know like the, the movies in the nineties sucked, but you have to give it up for the dual scene, man. Yes. Yeah. Like that music was killer. I think that was the best thing that came out of that whole Phantom Minutes thing was the dual scene soundtrack. Yeah, I totally agree. Let's play a little bit of that.
that movie is largely under is very underwhelming, but the mute that music is awesome. It's John Williams. Can't go wrong. I was the best thing that happened in that movie. John Williams got the job back. We could sit here and talk about Star Wars all day, but and you know, uh, it's such a pop cultural icon thing, and the music to it is just as important as the film it is itself. Sure. And then he did the movie, or he did the latest, the last trilogy, and then he said he was done from making Star Wars movies. But then they also he came out of retirement. He wrote the um, the stuff for the Obi Wan series, which yeah, which was great. Yeah, the yeah. End, I mean, shit that that fight between the two of them at the end of that, I I watched that like fifty times on yeah you know, online, and then he wrote the music that they play at the uh, the ride in Disney, the new experience, the yes. Galaxy's Edge. He wrote the music for that too. That's what gave me the idea. The idea to, to do, do this show, yeah, it's cool, absolutely. So the one um, thing we you know, that's you know like you know the one thing we didn't talk about with him was we mentioned it in the monologue was that he wrote the 1983 Olympic theme song. Yes. Which was huge. To this day, I think they still use it. Yeah. So he did the, he did the theme for Sunday Night Football. He did the, the theme for the Today Show, the NBC Nightly News, Meet the Press. He wrote the original music for the pilot for Gilligan's Island. So he did <laughs> a lot of TV stuff, too. But yeah, I think this is the Olympic fanfare. Yeah. Yep. Every four years, you hear that on the TV all the time. You know what? And that's so recognizable. And that's like, after we've been talking for two hours, we're like, oh, yeah, by the way, he also did this. But that's how amazing, of his, right. amazing his career is, you know? Right. Uh, no, I just hope, you know, our listeners found this entertaining. Sure. Little little trip through. And it's crazy, dude. I mean, I started, you know, sometimes when we're talking about a particular artist, I structure my notes by just writing out the whole discography and just, you know, like if I find something interesting, I put it underneath it. I was like, dude, I would have had like 20 pages of notes. He's written so many movies, scores. Oh, I, like, I, don't, I don't have time to go into every one. We'd be here. Yeah, you, know, you could make a whole podcast about just his uh, music. John Williams. Yeah. Yeah. Each Crazy. episode be a different movie. Sure. Yeah. So, all right. All right. Let's move into the back end of the show. All right. I've got some second thoughts I wrote in, and then we, I've got a really awesome special treat for everybody. I'm so excited for that. The, oh, the wow. thing I, right. the thing, the thing I sent you today. Oh well, yeah. This is yeah. great, guys. This is so awesome. All right. So. We're still getting feedback, man, from from the Kate Bush fans. I, somebody from England today was saying that I'm just we're just parochial Americans who don't know anything about music, and I'm not I'm not even going to read it. Read it, but um, no, but it's funny. Yeah, it was. We went back and forth. It was a long time and uh, going back and forth, but we still got yeah. A couple other people were saying, you know, like again, she made the impact and all this other kind of stuff. Sticking with the positive stuff, man. We did get another thought on Cindy Lauper from Darko with Love. Uh, Cindy Lauper was my first weirdo. Taught me at a young age not to give an f you what people think. I wish more people learned that same lesson and had the same teacher. And I was like, all right, man, I get that. Very positive. We also got some feedback on the Judgment Night soundtrack episode. So Chris from New Jersey, 
said, I bought the Judgment Night soundtrack back in the day and listened to it a lot. I've been listening to it when I started checking out your episode on it. Movie soundtracks were on a hell of a run in the 1990s. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And then uh, Josh from Boldfoot Socks, our sponsor, he sent us a note and he said, guys, amazing show this week. The stories behind the songs and the collaborations were awesome. I also enjoyed the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame show. I refuse to acknowledge its existence until Ted Nugent is in there. By the way, <laughs> by the way, I'm doing a Philly trip this year. I'd love to meet you guys and have many beers at McCusker's. So, oh, yeah, we're, we're going to make it happen. Yeah, first round's on us. And uh, yeah, man, Ted Nugent, we didn't even talk about him in Rock and Roll Hall of Fame snubs. You got, he will Dude, I don't think get, he'll ever get in there. He is never getting He has no pop. chance in hell ever getting in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He was on my list of top six guitar players. He's an awesome musician. He he runs his mouth too much. He's never getting in. So he's like the Donald Trump of fucking rock and roll. All right. And I, I dude, I'm so excited for this. A couple of months ago, we had the warden record something for us on his phone and he sent it in for our Christmas episode. Oh, yeah, that was nice. And then right after that, Omar was posting on our our, fr- our listener, Omar. So we found yeah. we have a listener in India. And it's this guy, Omar. And he commented on our social media like, hey, how did how did he get the call in the show and not me? Ha ha ha. And I messaged him and I was like, you you can call us any time. Record something. He he did. He no, actually he recorded. He had a phone message that he recorded and he sent it to us like, here. Oh, dude. Hello, Ryan and Bruce. It is your friend, Omar. I am very excited to make this message for you and all of your listeners. I told you that I wanted to record something for you after hearing the Warden Rob Owens on your show and here I am. Did you enjoy the heavy metal music we have here in India that I sent you? Thank you for playing it on your show. I am your biggest fan here in India. I listen to every episode of the podcast. Sometimes I listen while I am at work and then play it again in my home for Little Mick. Little Mick's favorite episode is the one on drummers. He got very crazy when I played the episode playlist and started jumping around my home so much that he broke a glass. I told him, that is bad little Mick, but he was too excited. I hope to come to America soon. I will walk into your club Makaskas Tavern and it will be a great day. Blessings to you both, your friend, Omar. I, dude. <laughs> Blessing to you, Omar. I am floored that he... Oh. That he called us, so I guess well, he recorded dude, he's that. Been listening to, he's like one of our original listeners, right? Right, and he's been, you know, he's written in before, and uh, I know he follows the he's show. He's been on with Facebook. us for like two years now. Oh man, that is so nice of him. Very, very cool. And he told us he has a a pet monkey named Little Mick, who <laughs> he named after Mick Jagger. Yes, and likes rock and roll music and i guess he he broke a bunch of stuff in his house you when say, he was playing oh, our, wow. our drummer our our episode playlist on drummers so can, can you uh, imagine having like a little monkey as a pet i wonder who wears a diaper if he comes here man i i guess you can't get a monkey on a plane but that'd be oh my god omar much like uh josh from boldfoot please let us know if you're when you're coming here and we'll definitely you know, have to get the word in together with omar yes yes we'll have to we'll roll out the red carpet all right music new and omar please write us in anytime and we'd love the heavy metal music that you sent us a couple yes. episodes ago he sent us some heavy metal music from india and we did play it on the show and we talked about it so it was some of it wasn't bad dude i remember we were yeah man. we were digging some of it yeah you know? why not all right music news I don't have I didn't have time to write this to put it in the notes, but literally as I was setting up my gear, I saw uh, on my phone that Mick Mars from Motley Crue was suing the other guys over 
you know, he left the band because he said he can't physically tour with them anymore because of that, uh, yeah, that disorder he has, he has. Yeah, yeah, poor guy. And I guess he's, I guess he's not getting paid. He's so you know, that that sounds like that's going to spiral out of control. You know, they're they're fighting over money. That's not good. But no, I mean, listen, he's original member of Motley Crue. He gets paid. Don't you think when and anything goes out there, like somebody's going to get paid no matter what? Yeah, you know, somebody's sure. always getting paid. It's like, hey, Motley Crue is his name. He came up with the name Motley Crue, Mick Mars. You know, I could see him like winning that. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see how that. They how shouldn't that be out there anyway anymore without him. I think Tommy Lee's not even playing with them right now. Hmm. And then the other music news that I had was around Ticketmaster and and the Cure. So I'm not I'm not a big Cure fan, but I've been trying to get tickets. Have you? I've been. You know, man, I respect him. So Robert Smith and The Cure are the latest artists to try to fight Ticketmaster from charging fees. So when The Cure announced their tour, they said they were going to take steps to try to stop scalping. And they were going to offer some tickets for as little as 20 bucks for all their shows because they wanted people who couldn't who couldn't afford it to go. And then the tickets went on sale and Ticketmaster started doing the, their Ticketmaster thing. And fans were posting on social media that they were like, you know, hey, the fees were actually more than the tickets. Like one person posted a screenshot and said they were they bought two tickets that were 40 bucks each and the fees were forty five dollars each. Wow. And, and Robert Smith. Right. And Robert Smith started ripping them on social Ticketmaster on social media. And they got everybody to like Ticketmaster gave everybody like five to ten bucks back. Really? Yeah. So I was like, good. You know, like I, I respect that, dude. He's trying. And then the cure is also trying to eliminate the resale market. Yeah. Yeah. So they're trying to do that, like that verified fan thing where you, you register ahead of time and you get a code to log in. Such a pain in the ass. Yeah. And I so just want to buy tickets, man. Right. And they're That's trying. It. And so they've never said but they're making like, it worse for the fans to get tickets. Yeah. So Ticketmaster ticket never said what, what criteria do they use to get, you know, if you sign up as a, as a verified fan, what is that? Is it a lottery? The media says that it will look at your, um, your, your history of like what, what tickets you bought. And if you, um, if you have a history of buying a lot of concert tickets, you have a better chance of getting picked as long as you're not buying like 20 tickets for every Taylor Swift show in the country. Cause then you're a scalper. Oh, well, right. It work. Yeah. But but then if you know if I'm if you're only really into fish and you only really ever want to go see fish, you're not yeah. going to have that history. So what people are now doing is they're buying uh, people are hacking other people's Ticketmaster accounts and stealing the whole online account. Oh, wow. Yeah. So like somebody like you who buys a ton of tickets, they're hacking your password and then they're selling your password on the Internet. So then ticket scalpers will get into the verified thing and buy all the tickets and then by the oh, time you shit. get and so it's just like it's just even scummier and dirtier oh than, my god what's this becoming of concert goers i know can't man. we just go back and waiting in line for concert tickets right right why don't that right. was the best we stay out all night and right you have your war story of sleeping in a parking lot to get tickets i've done but, many december mornings or yep. like January mornings. All right. The electric chair. So you got something yes. for the electric chair. You felt very passionate about it. I bet people out there, we're talking about John Williams and people, I bet they're Kate Bush fans too. 
They say, what about Harry Potter? We did not we, talk about Harry Potter. We did not talk about Harry Potter. And I did that purposely because I can't stand them. I just don't like them. I don't like the whole millennial Harry Potter shtick. That's what's the problem with the millennials. They grew up with Harry Potter. I watched the first movie. I never cared to watch any more of them. I don't even know how many there have been. I just was kind of like, okay, it just didn't do anything for me. No. It was such a huge... All the movies, they're good movies and all. I just has a personal thing against Harry Potter. Hmm. It's like... There, there were eight movies. Huh. Okay. Yeah, and they're not bad movies. I just... You know, here's my chance to put Harry Potter in the electric chair. Okay. You know, I've had ex-girlfriends love, 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 love Harry Potter. Now this is my chance to get back at them. <laughs> Fair enough, man. I, I don't feel I don't feel that strongly either way. But hey, it's our <laughs> show, and you can do what you want. That's why I have a show. Yeah, right. Kill whatever you want. Hey, put Harry Potter in the electric chair. All right, chair. let's do it. We sentence you to death. All right. He's definitely going to have another lightning bolt on his head. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're going to get so much more hate mail, too. You know. We're all about, but we do this. We do this for the hate mail. And like you said, it might be the exact same people that, you know, that they're the already Bush fans are the, right. are the, Yeah. They're just going to copy their comments, paste it again, and just change the name in it. And it'll be good to go. So, yeah. All right, man. So that's a wrap on episode 61. We played a bunch of clips from John Williams soundtracks while we were talking, some of the stuff we were talking over. But if you want to hear the whole versions of all this stuff, Ryan got you covered. We put together an episode playlist for every episode, and there's a link to it in the show notes. You can also go in the show notes to find ways to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. You can check us out on social media. You can visit our website. You can drop us an email, subscribe to our YouTube channel, or you can stop by McCusker's Tavern in Philadelphia. There's links to all that stuff in the show notes, too. I've actually even been posting a Google Maps link to the bar in the show notes. So if you're in Philadelphia and you want to stop in for a cold one on any given day before and after a game, you can certainly do that. Good chance Dude, that Ryan may be there. How, how about this write-up that I got real fast? Yes. Yeah. You got a, uh, what was it? An Irish publication, right? It's or, an uh, Irish publication from people from Ireland um, visiting America. What so, was it called? What was the publication? The publication is called Irish Star US. Okay. Yeah. They did like and a profile you, on you. Yeah. A total profile on me, a story about how the McCusters bought the bar. It's really good. I, I enjoyed giving the interview. But if you want to read it, go to Irish Star US McCusker's Tavern. Awesome. And there's a great pictures of me and my story of, of uh, making my way up to the, uh, the trenches of the bar. It was great. Yeah, I put it on our social media, too, and it got a lot of a lot of people were commenting on it and liking it and stuff like that. It was awesome, man. It was it's always good to see you guys get publicity. This is your 55th year in business too it right? is our 50 yeah our 50 this is our 55th year that's we awesome are dude. going to have a big party in the fall awesome so I we'll be there on your calendar oh but maybe yeah, that's when omar maybe omar maybe omar you could stay with rob the, that'd be the great warden. yeah 
Tell. We just got to watch out for the Phillies being in the World Series again this year. Uh, all right, man. So we'll be back in two weeks. Thanks so much for listening to us. And we hope you entertain, got it. We're entertained and learned something by us, you know, stepping a little bit outside of our comfort zone. But that's, yeah, man. Yeah. You know, it's all good. I, li- I like these episodes where we kind of challenge ourselves a little bit. Well, you know what I say, Bruce? What is that, sir? Keep on rocking. Peace out. I'm just a It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.